And welcome to Risky Standard, an actual play podcast featuring a rowdy group of best friends playing tabletop role-playing games together. I'm your host and GM, Mitch Brewster. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MagnesiumB. Had to think about it. Uh, and you can find the show on Twitter, much more importantly, at Standard Risky. Also had to think about it. Uh, with me today, I've got Peter Loftus. Hey, I'm Pete. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Chip Enjoyer. Uh, we've got Malcolm Hall here. What up? And uh, we also have young Timothy Manns. Hiya. Yep. I'm here, ready to play, ready to slay, as the kids would say. All of the kids I don't know if they say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is also the first episode that we are recording uh, since we launched the podcast last month, but probably not last month when you're listening to it because of how time works. Uh, so big uh, shout out to everyone and anyone who has been listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. And if you're still listening to it when we've published this, thank you very much. Know that we're currently in Beverly Hills in our podcaster's mansion. Uh, the Risky Standard Media Empire is booming. Which brings me to the supplements, which everyone should be buying. <laughs> Get your mech pills. Horrifying. Uh, and today we are continuing our campaign of Beam Saber by Austin Ramsey. Big shout outs also to Austin. Uh, as always, you can find him uh, over, you can find the game over at his itch.io page and find Austin himself over at Twitter at not an in. So yeah, let's get back into it. Uh, it has been like a minute since we have actually last played this game. So we we're all kind of getting our sea legs. Is that a thing? Sea legs, right? It is. I was going to call them ship legs, uh, which I don't think is a thing. No, Mitch, those are legs made out of ships. <laughs> okay. We all know that. And that's a mech. So when we all last got together, uh, the squad had just received a new mission from your handler, Troubadour. Um, you guys have been assigned the task of sabotaging the broadcasting facility at Passerine Station, located in the occupied town of Farron's Bluff. The religious theocracy invading Ember, known as the Concordat, has been using the facility to host a massive propaganda operation to try and sway inhabitants of the basin to join them. And they've also been using the facility's communications equipment to possibly facilitate a military push into territories that border the ring-controlled areas of the basin. Uh, Y'all have been yeah, sent to sabotage this broadcast facility, and in addition to that, uh, Troubadour has also given you the tools to attempt to complete a secondary objective, uh, which is gaining access to the, the control hub at Passerine Station and using this hacking tool to gain vital concordat uh, communications, intel, like encryption codes, that kind of stuff. And this mission uh, is happening. It's all possible because there's going to be a large dedication ceremony happening in the occupied town of Farron's Bluff for a newly built temple by the Concordat, uh, which is going to draw away a lot of the guards and a lot of the civilian populace away from Passerine Station, uh, giving you all a window of opportunity in which to try and accomplish your goals. 
And so in our last session, uh, we did some information gathering and just like general prep for this mission. Uh, and then we rolled the dice on your engagement roll. I think the dice came up with a five, which is sort of a mixed success, uh, which means that at the start of this mission, uh, you guys are going to be starting out from a, a risky position. Uh, and so the basic plan that you had pitched, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on this one, but I think the basic plan here was that utilizing the your knowledge of a nearby caravan of the nomadic shepherders called the Drovers, uh, and their giant triops herd, you were going to try and send a stampede raging kind of through the town, through this temple dedication ceremony to distract from your infiltration and sabotage of uh, Passerine Station, which is kind of located right outside, right on the edge of the town. That is correct, Mitch. Right. It's going to go perfect as well. Oh, every time, always, right? Um, so I think it's worth, uh, I'm just going to throw this out here. I think it's worth saying, uh, in the time since our, our last session, I think our conception of this mission ha has changed just a little bit, or, or of our plan has changed just a little bit. Initially, uh, when we talked about the engagement role in our last session uh, and our approach to it, uh, we talked about using like the scientific tactic, which was going to be kind of using Rhodes's mech to like cause a stampede. And this is maybe like a a look at how the sausage gets made a little bit. Um, but we did kind of take a stab at playing the mission that way. Uh, and the thing that we all kind of realized, um, and the reason we're coming back at it this way, is that I think it makes more sense. Uh, this is like less of a science plan. It's less about Rhodes uh, using his mech to like enrage these creatures into a stampede. Uh, and it's more about kind of finding these drovers and uh, kind of getting them on board with this plan to participate in, in creating the stampede through the town. Uh, so I think we're kind of retroactively changing that engagement plan to be a social one as opposed to a scientific one. But past that, I think like the the role itself and kind of like the the general matter of that like engagement role discussion all still applies here. I don't think it's worth like going back to re-roll dice or anything. That all still fits. Uh, but this will be kind of more of a, a social plan as opposed to like a, a scientific one. And one, one more thing uh, just to touch on before we kind of hop into everything, because uh, we did not do this last time. But at the start of every mission, we also need to kind of figure out, uh, or rather you need to declare, uh, what load you're carrying into this mission. Uh, which is, again, uh, a reminder for listeners at home, load is how we measure how much equipment the characters are bringing with them onto a mission. Uh, and it also affects how obviously they are sort of a, a soldier in a war zone versus someone who might pass as like, say, a civilian, um, amongst other kind of fictional considerations. Um, so real quick, uh, what load uh, is everyone carrying? You know, there's light, normal, and heavy. Is this for pilot? This is pilot gear, yeah. This is the stuff your pilot has on you. I'm going in, I'm going in heavy myself. You said that there's not like a, there's no like mission stipulation, there's where you can't hurt anyone or anything like we are able to kind of. No, there were let loose. <laughs> there are engagement. Uh... Go out and kill. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to go just murder people. But we we are given a little bit more ability to use uh, forces yeah. necessary yeah. than we have previously. Okay, then yeah. in that case, I'm going in heavy. No, your rules of engagement here are no uh, employing force against the civilian populace of Ferenc Bluff. And no firing upon or presenting as a clearly marked medical transport. Um, so don't pretend to be doctors uh, and don't attack the civilians of this occupied town. 
I'm not pretending to be a doctor. I just like wearing this nurse's outfit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rhodes, what are you what are you going in? in? Uh, medium for me. Medium. All right. So two heavies and a medium. Normally, your pilot gear resets in between every mission. Uh, your vehicle gear stays the same between missions unless you spend uh, materiel, you know, sort of resources to unequip things. Uh, but for this particular one, uh, I think we're just going to do like this one-time reset of everyone's vehicle loadouts because I think that was just like a, a point we didn't quite make clear enough. Like in our in our first mission, uh, I want to give folks the chance to kind of like be a bit more deliberate in their decisions when it comes to like declaring what gear their vehicle has on it. Um, so going forward, we will we will live by the the rule of law in Beam Saber. Uh, but for today's mission, we will also clear everyone's vehicle gear uh, at the same time that we are kind of resetting everyone's pilot gear. Cool. Uh, with all of that out of the way, uh, I think we can get back into the groove of things and play some Beam Saber. This is our first mission that is going to take us fully outside of the the free city of Coronatus, uh, as we talked about before. Farron's Bluff is located to the northwest of the city. It's like a, a week or so travel away from the city. Um, it's like in the foothills of this little mountain range that is known as the Cosmio Ridge, where the Concordat have established their foothold in the basin. Um, and we will kind of like get into the action in a second. And I don't think we need to do like a day-by-day accounting of the traveling that happens there. Um, but I do think like it's like worth putting like a little, a little color on it since it's like our first time going out of the city. You know, we've talked a lot about dim. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot about Ember being with this like desert planet, and the basin itself is also still a desert. But I think there's like kind of like a distinction that's worth drawing as we kind of like try and visualize what this place looks like. Outside of the basin, the rest of Ember, I think, is something more like what we think of as like a, you know, like a classic desert or like a movie desert, right? Like the the most arid regions of the Sahara. Or, you know, like sci-fi planets like Arrakis uh, from Dune or, or Tatooine, Star Wars. These like completely like, you know, sand dune covered desert places. with Like minimal amounts of plant and animal life, incredibly hostile to people. That is like most of Ember. Uh, and there's this like interstitial zone between that and the basin, sometimes called the outer dust. But in the basin itself, kind of like where most of our story is taking place, I like kind of think of it as something closer to like the Sonoran Desert, or, like the Great Basin Deserts in North America, right? There's like still dry and arid, but there's this uh, like bounty of different kinds of plant and animal life that have adapted to that climate that have like uh, kind of thrived. And it's like the thing that separates the basin from everything else on this planet. Yeah, I mean, I think like that's the image that keeps going back to my mind. It's not like one big empty desert. Like I think this whole basin's like dotted with like, you know, rock structures blown smooth by the wind, like little outcroppings where... You know, uh, kind of like the deep sea vents, you know, where there's like one little thing that can sustain life. There's like a little mini ecosystem. I mean, it used to be the ocean floor, right? At some point. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as you are traveling across the basin, right? Yeah, you have like, you know, occasional streams, like shrubs and cactuses, big, beautiful, like coral formations, right? Or something like coral, something yeah. that's like surface coral with like strange flowers. So I imagine. Like at the foot of one of these, you know, probably like towering like masses of surface coil. Oh, sorry. Uh, one of these towering masses of surface coral probably opens up uh, one of the exits from one of the like long abandoned mining shafts that we've had these. Uh, we have secret routes, right? That's one of our FOB power ups. So I think, you know, rather than have us kind of like trudging 
through desert for days. Like maybe one of these routes here leads through like a lava tube or something that spits out, um, you know, kind of halfway out here into the basin where we can probably fit like four mechs or three mechs through. Probably not like right on top of where we want to be. There's probably still some like overland transit to get through. But I think like, you know, I'm imagining, yeah, like like you mentioned the Sonoran Desert, like, you know, one of the, maybe there's this big towering coral piece and uh, on the horizon are like some of these like sandstone arches and some outcroppings of rock where I think somewhere in that dust, you can probably make out like, a bit of a trail or a kind of beaten path where, you know, um, let's, let's just go for it. A tumbleweed, you know, goes rolling by. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think like a lot of this, uh, like travel that like once you're out from these tunnels probably happens at night. Also, we talked about it. Uh, Ember has a lot of moons. It has five moons. I think we're like in a phase where three of them are visible. So I'm like, you know, silhouette of the mechs moving across like a ridge at night, right. Lit by the moons. I think, you know, we get the, the hunting song of, a uh, cricket coyotes moving through the the basin and i think like the one other detail in my mind like about this entire journey is that like even as you're like, you're gone well past coronatus it has like receded into the horizon behind you always is still the site of the beacon piercing into the sky right this massive superstructure right like it is omnipresent from any point in the basin you can like look in the direction where it is and see it there uh, you know piercing the clouds and so, yeah, maybe we uh, join the crew. I don't know if we want to move into a scene here, or if we just want to talk about what your plan is, because basically we are looking for the drovers, right? That's like kind of the next move, right? Mm -hmm. Is Rhodes, uh, he, you talked to a, another former drover when you were in Coronatus. Yeah, Utah. Utah Alexander, yeah. <laughs> Didn't really succeed in getting any like finite detail. But I think we established there are going to be some of them nearby here, right? Like that yeah. was, like, I think, the thing that we did to kind of lay down is that like, you didn't get like the personal connection. Like you didn't get like, oh yeah, go see uh, old Ted. He's over here. I don't think any of the drivers are named old Ted. That was just the first thing that came to my mind. Old I'm Ted. Sorry. <laughs> um, you didn't get uh, an introduction, but you did get like a confirmation that this time of year around out there, there should be a, a caravan, right? I imagine. So we, you, you know that there will be a group to find in the area. Uh, and between that and like your... Your previous history with the drovers, your knowledge. I think maybe you got some maps also from Utah. Yeah, we got like an old one. Yeah, yeah I think I have to totally relist it. But like, you know that there should be a group out here. Yeah, so I think like maybe on this uh, horizon here, one, I do like the shot of three mechs. That's very tight. Uh, and just seeing like the three of them together is cool. Just be like, um, card of Dez, hold here for just a second. And I'm going to um, pop the like cockpit hatch of the... Um, redshift open and I think Rhodes like climbs out kind of like one foot on the edge of the um, you know edge of the cockpit uh, over the controls with like a pair of binoculars in hand and a map in the other and is like kind of just scanning the horizon it's like you know evening early early moonrise probably gonna need your help <laughs> I think he's like maybe kind of trying to like be like yeah like it's supposed to be here like we, this yeah, is the where plan. are they uh <laughs> Hey, this isn't a, it's more art than science, okay? The drovers aren't out here to be found. They're not actively advertising. It takes a little bit of work. But you s said that we could find them here. We'll find them. Uh, All right. You, uh, it's one of those things, you know? Can't find them unless you're not looking for it. Are they actively hiding, though? Well, hard to say. I mean, back in the day, I don't think they would have been real easy to find, but got to keep in mind, uh, this is a new generation. These guys are used to going where they're allowed, not where they choose. 
has Rhodes made it clear yet at this point that like you used to be one of these drovers? Like this was like a thing you did for a, a while, right? Like we a couple of decades. Yeah, yeah, a couple of days. So like a good length of time. I think we talked a little bit about it when I went to go meet an old contact. But again, like it's it's a different era now, you know? Like the lifetime ago that Rhodes spent as a drover was on a very different ember. I think even in even in the way that the desert has changed, right? Like if this planet's going through like active desertification, you know, I think like once you probably see even free roaming herds out here and less and less, I think there's less and less wildlife all the time. Mm. So I think like, again, uh, would probably like buckle down and be like, Carta, do what you can to keep an eye on that horizon. I'm pretty sure this is the path on the map here. And I think we're just kind of like tessellating like the map in hand, turning it side to side, looking in. I think maybe uh, manages to figure out like on that map somewhere that you can make out this like kind of towering like mound of, of surface coral. And it looks like this path kind of like leads on for another, I don't know how many clicks out towards Farron's Bluff. And along that way, I probably tell you guys this too, that the, there's seven standing stones, the seven sisters up this way, a very old drover spot where an old drover camp uh, used to be there, a well too. So most of the time these are built around water. So if this map holds up, I'm guessing that's where this group's probably hold up. Yeah, a paper map, that should be really good for us. Really, really good. <laughs> it's, a, it's an old culture, my friend. All right, old man. Before we like head right there, I think maybe it would be good to do like a top level, like quick refresher on like who and what the drovers are. Because like, we were talking about a lot them, a lot about them, but I don't think we've like really, I don't know that we, yeah, we talked about them a little bit last episode, but I don't think we really like gave like the full like pitch of them necessarily. Right. But they are like the, the drovers of the outer dust is like what we have them written down in at, on our like squad sheet. And they're like a big part of Rhodes's backstory. So Pete, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, like the, the drovers themselves, I think, were kind of like a, it's not like it's one sort of like ethnic group or just like one particular identity. I think the drovers are a culture on Ember of kind of a nomadic, you know, like I keep kind of coming back to like Bedouin cowboy kind of thing. Like they're, um, you know, not really like mech pilots, but they're out here in the dust, usually like kind of herding these giant tribes along these big drives uh, to, you know, along their migration routes. I think they are like pseudo mystics uh, out here, really kind of in embedded in the belief that like Ember is a living planet, right? That like these like natural processes that have shaped this world are like uh, inherently tied into these creatures. So they make their way across Ember, crisscrossing the dust. Um, and at one time, you know, I think that people even like made pilgrimages to Ember, you know, like uh, drovers were kind of like a folk story kind of thing. Like people wanted to be them. So they attracted people from far and wide, people who kind of fell off the beaten trail. I think probably it was like something of a refuge or like a, a place to run away to when uh, Ember really started uh, going through like a colonization push. So, you know, you kind of imagine them as like a patchwork quilt of different species and peoples, uh, all kind of like bound into this one kind of common identity here to, uh, you know, ferry and shuttle the triops across the, the desert. Yeah. One of the things I have written here uh, in like my like little like set of notes here is like a, like capital F fundamental ecologists, people who are like studying, like you said, like the the kind of like the living planet of Ember and it's like fundamental nature and also kind of like the, the status of the basin, right. As not just like 
a unique ecosystem, but like a, a fundamental miracle, capital F there again, right? Like the, the existence uh, and the continued existence of this place as something deeply, deeply uh, like spiritually powerful and important and also like directly tied to the power of the fundament. Yeah. Uh, and to that end, I think like uh, there's also like a ecologically here, right? Like this, this continued and uninhibited migration of the triops is also fundamentally Im- important to preserving this like miracle ecosystem, small and big F here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think they sustain one another, right? Like the, the triops like keep the drovers going and the drovers keep the triops going. Yeah. Um, you know, worth mentioning, I suppose too, is like, we've talked a little bit about Ember being kind of like dotted with the remains of these first era ruins, you know, having some of them like with some kind of active, like fundamental, uh, relics going on. Um, I think the the drovers themselves also are like acutely aware of this. Even like some of their um, more frequent like habitations being in like recovered ruins or kind of adapted like first era ruins. I think it's probably worth noting like the the dust itself is fairly difficult to traverse. Like the drovers themselves have kind of a innate knowledge or a p- particular cartography of this area, and thus elusive. So there's the challenge. Okay, it's not me. It's actually pretty, they're pretty pretty special. So I think that to that end, you know, it is when we're saying you're moving in the mechs, right? Yeah. I think you are, you know, headed in the direction of this, this landmark, um, the Seven Sisters, right? This like semicircle of natural rock towers that is like the, the marker for this, this post. I think it is like, as you are kind of approaching this landmark, I don't know who spots it first, maybe one you can tell me, but uh, it is like not in the direction of the seven sisters, but like off to the one side and then off to the other, I think you see, you know, in the light of the moons of Ember, these kind of clouds of dust kick up that are um, kicked up and then like moving, you know, kind of carving a line. It's clearly like the, the line of a dust cloud being kicked up by something moving out in the dark. I guess, okay. I think maybe Carta, uh, you know, being told to keep his eyes on the horizon, just going like, all right, what does the map say about that? Yep, I uh, reckon they'd probably find us before we found them. Guessing those are scouts. And yeah, I think, uh, you know, you get like a two or three more of these things kick up kind of off in the distance, right? These dust clouds coming from, uh, I, I think you'd have to like, you know, dial in your like scanners or something to like see them, uh, you know, at this size and this distance. But yeah, it's like definitely the dust cloud of vehicles moving through the dust kind of, uh, I think that they... I don't think that they approach you, right? Mm-hmm. Just being like wide berths around. Yeah, exactly. I think they're kind of like cutting these like wide circles, like kind of off on either side of you. You know, clearly, intentionally, I think probably making themselves seen uh, and also like, yeah, seeing what you do, what your intentions are. Yeah, I think we'd be like, nice and easy, boys. Just keep on course. Don't get too itchy. We'll let them come in and see where they... Uh, what they do next sneak right up on us <laughs> no that if they were sneaking they'd be on top of us already let's go a little further and i'm gonna hop out see if we can parlay yeah and i think like at a point like maybe as that circle around us starts to draw in a little closer Rhodes puts the redshift down on one knee and i think like again cracks the cockpit and i think like climbs out over the controls down the kind of like ladder over the leg Um, And I think like walks maybe like 50 yards out. And I think probably like, I don't know if there's like a, uh, if I have like a signal light or you tell me how far away they are, but I'm kind of just going to stand here, I guess, 
and uh, wait for one of them to approach. Um, does it look like they're on their, they're like coming in. Are the other two people joining you or is this just Rhodes out of the mech? I mean, I think, I don't know. Carter doesn't know what the fuck these people do. I think, yeah, no. He's, yeah. he's staying in the mech and even though he said, don't get too itchy around it, you know, Carter gets itchy. <laughs> same same with me. I'm just kind of, I'm running, I'm just, whatever. I'm just looking at my my monitors. Mm-hmm. Just trying to see what's going on. I'm not like really trying to get out and say hi and show show these uh, strangers my face. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I yeah. think like Rhodes is yeah. even, like as he's walking out, probably talking to the two of you on like the throat mic, and be like, "It's all right. Uh, should be fine." I mean, I don't think they're on a shoot uh, shoot on sight order, so I'm just gonna raise my hands, walk out, and let them know we're not looking for any trouble. This should be okay. Don't worry. Um, so yeah, I think that these um, these like dust plumes like come a little closer, uh, and then stop kind of on the on the periphery, right? Like right on the edges where they're still kind of indistinct, uh, all except one. I think one of them cuts in uh, closer, and then as it does cut in closer, the the volume of this d- dust cloud uh, like lessens, and as it approaches closer, we can see that like, you know the thing that is making this dust cloud is. A, a rider on a, a like hover bike. I think you, you would know this roads, um, right? This this kind of bike is called a dust cutter, and I think you'd also know that like this this group you're this caravan you're looking for, they share the name of that, right? Like the dust cutters, uh, and so I imagine it's like a single individual like coming in on this like. Uh, what are they in, in Star Wars? They're swoop bikes, I think. And I'm also thinking a lot about like sparrows from Destiny. This kind of like rust brown, like almost more frame than like vehicle. It's just like you know, like bare bones, patchwork kind of like hover machine with just like this big array of fundamental thrusters on the back end that is able to kick up these just huge plumes of dust as this thing comes speeding across the land. Yeah, just sitting on a turbine. Yeah, yeah, right. Just a jet engine and like a frame, basically. Uh, yeah, so yeah, this this dust cutter pulls its way in. I think maybe uh, on the front end of this one, like two curving horns, right? Like coming right out from the front of the bike, um, which we would recognize uh, visually as the the horns of a triops, right? Uh, and yeah, this this uh, this humanoid figure steps off of the bike. I think like you like like very average sized like person wearing kind of like a red poncho that I think is covering up like a lot of what they're wearing, um, kind of dimmed with the dust that has just been kicked up from this ride. Right, I'm imagining they're wearing like yeah, you know, like most of their body is covered. I imagine that like the dust is like spraying against you constantly when you're riding on one of these bikes. Uh, and I think as they step off, you know, there is this yeah like little. Uh, uh, ring of spurs and, and uh, shell. You know, I think that they have. We talked about the 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 triops as being these big crustaceans with this kind of like beautiful pearlescent sort of iridescent shells, like abalone. Yeah, yeah, like abalone. And I think that that, that has been used right to like make ornamentations on the the gear this person is wearing. You can't see their face. I think that they have on like a a big like. Uh, I'm wearing it, I'm covering my mouth, which is not the thing that you should do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, visually, <laughs> they're wearing like, like a, big, yeah, like a rebreather that I think has like you know thick tubes extending down from it and into like under the poncho into like whatever kind of like piece they're wearing under that. That I imagine has been like maybe painted or decorated also with this same abalone esque uh, triops shell. Mm-hmm. 
And I think we can see also that this person, uh, you know, I think has like big riding goggles on, but I think we can see that they are Electorian. They have, uh, you know, these, these two kind of like ram's horns, uh, but one of them has been like broken off. And I think the one that isn't broken off, you know, just like roll, roll with this kind of like decorative touch. I think like the kind of grooves of this horn have been painted in with this same kind of like a no, that's cool. material, right? Like in the grooves of the horn, you just like you see, caught in the light, right, of the uh, the red shift kind of spotlighting down where Rhodes is standing or you can get, catch mm. him lifting off. Yeah, just like some running lights like that. This person steps off and he he takes a few steps towards you, Rhodes. Unarmed, uh, but I think you can see like in a rack on the side of that uh, dust cutter, right? There is this like long, thin rifle but this person's not carrying it, right? Like they are not, uh, they are not bearing arms, but you can still see off in the distance, maybe like the, the very faint glow on the edge of like either side of like this uh, area you're at, right? The, um, the faint glow of the engines on these other dust cutters, right? The implication that like, if he has one of these, the people out there do too. Yeah, presumably bearing down. Yeah. So I think Rhodes like hands up, currently be like, easy now, now I'll be putting trouble. And I think yeah, through the through the through the rebreather, right? Kind of like modulated a little bit, you know. It's a a voice. Uh, what are you looking for? Uh, you precisely. Uh, wouldn't have been able to find you out here if I didn't know how to look. Person uh, looks up at the red shift and then looks at the, the other two mechs, kind of like standing a little further back. Your friends want to come and join us? Uh, I don't speak for them. They seem okay where they're at. Your friends want to join us. They seem comfortable where they're at. That we're at something of an impasse. I think Rhodes like reaches uh, under his vest uh, and like pulls out like a sheathed dagger, I think. But I think it's just offering it, right? Like this is maybe like a drover custom, right? It is like um, kind of like, you know, not here. We're, we're like looking to parlay, not not looking to cause trouble. Um, I think the the dagger itself actually has like probably some of that same pearlescent like shell in the handle. And I think like open hand dagger on, on palm kind of like offers it to this, uh, Lectorian's like, does it have like notches for each of the years you've been like, how many seasons you've been out on the, yeah, I like that. There's like a piece of string tied on it or something, you know, like, yeah, yeah. uh, that in, uh, along that, that, um, cord is like a knot for each, you know, season passing. And I think, um, Rhodes like hands it, or is like, you know, offering it to this rider. This is something like, my companions and I were seeking passage through this area. We like an audience with your leader. Uh, is this like a normal, like, like would, would this person exchange something back with you or is it just like you showing the weapon is right? Like a... I, I think this is like a, a signal of docility or something. Like I'm, you know, this is kind of like arms clasped. Like you're, you know, not, not trying to like pull a trick. Um, I don't know. You tell me. What what's the exchange? <laughs> over the over the comms to Dez, he go Carter just to Dez. Were we supposed to bring a knife? <laughs> I don't I don't have one of those. <laughs> I think Dez just tur- turns on the the volume on the comms. <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah, just turns it down. <laughs> uh maybe it's not an exchange yet, right? Um I think he takes your knife obviously examines it for for like a long moment and then kind of moves forward and past roads a little bit right so he's almost kind of standing like parallel to you uh and he's looking at the red shift behind you if you're looking through passage through these areas these days 
you'd do better looking for someone piloting something like that. And he, you know, kind of nods his head towards the red shift. You like it? It's quite a machine. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, he looks at you and asks, you know, are you with the Concordat? Of course not. And I think he looks at the other two mechs and then back at the red shift. Brave to be driving something like that through this area if you're not with them. Well, someone's got to do it. <laughs> I'm sure you've noticed a lot of activity in the area. Not all of us are quite as in agreement with uh, the Concordat developments here. Do you um, have a transponder on you? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm, like a, I'm talking like a radio transponder, I assume, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, you know, like a shift of the poncho, and I think we see like a big clunky curled antenna, like kind of like radio receiver on, on his belt. Yeah, I'd be like, that's right. Yeah, pull it out. Flick it on. He shakes his head. I know what I'll hear. Yeah. You know, it looks at uh, at Carter's mech as well. Doesn't quite look like Commonwealth either. You were with the ring then? Uh, I think he like, you know, kind of turns and like shows the shoulder on the vest, which has like the, you know, the insignia. He goes, yeah, we're with the ring. We're looking to drop in on the Concordat's uh, ceremony at Pasterine Station. Where does there something of a gathering there? He like kind of cocks his head for a second. Um, and I think it's clear he's not listening to you anymore. He's like getting uh, getting like a feed in the same way you're getting like the, the throat mics, right? And then I think reaches down into his boot and draws like a similar, right? Like, it's kind of like utility knife that I think is, you know, got, yeah, like, you know, a pommel that's been like inlaid with the same, this like a, this triops albalone al- and uh, has like, you know, this kind of intricate knotting that tells you that this guy has been a, a drover for like a, a good long while, right? Seasoned veteran, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, and I think he, you know, offers his knife to you, right? This is like the the exchange, the, the agreement of like, like you said, uh, of docility. Sure. As he extends it, Cygnus Strand, follow me. We'll meet with you. Strand, good to meet you. We'll follow on. I guess I'm gonna hustle back to the machine. He hops on this dust cutter and kind of like guides you all in closer to. I think you probably you end up like pulling off somewhere that is not quite at like the encampment, but is nearby and then hops off and it's like, you know, mechs are parked here. We're walking the rest of the way. Um, sure. You're, your giant war machines to our encampment. Maybe we can at least see it from here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think these bikes follow alongside you the entire time, right? Like you're not left kind of unattended. And yeah, I think after that, you know, we can kind of like cut to this, right? The, the group walking into, I think the group walking into this like uh, encampment in the moonlight, we can see kind of like further off in the distance, like the rustling shapes of these giant triops, right? Like uh, occasionally big shells cap- capturing like a, a glint of the moonlight. This place, this encampment, I think, like you said before, is probably not like a permanent settlement uh, in that like there's not like people living here year round. Uh, but I do imagine that there is like, you know, uh, you know, like things like tents strung up, like some like temporary structures that have been installed, you know, like stuff that like is like hide and wood and like, you know, scaffolding poles, stuff that you could like break down just as quickly and like get back on the road with. And I think there is, uh, you know, probably like a a group, um, you know, like I, I think we see a couple of different campfires like lit up uh, around where some of these like tents and the other smaller structures have popped up. Yeah. Do the triops make noise? 
I was thinking that. Thank you for saying that. I just keep thinking about it. In my mind, I keep hearing like the sound of cattle, but I know that that's not right. I was thinking like cattle, but uh, like through, you know how like beetles like breathe through their like body, right? Like I'm imagining this like weird kind of like, like a hissing cockroach. Yeah, like hissing cockroach or like some like, you know, um, like clicking moan thing. You know? What about like a little like chirp, like a little like kind of chirp, like some kind of like trill. Yeah, yeah. like Yeah, trilling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I think you can hear it, yeah, like echoing it around these like little uh, the semicircle of standing stones here, right? Send us your best uh, try-up impression into our inboxes. That's, uh, <laughs> that is riskystandardpod at gmail.com. So you can just drop us those try-ups impressions, and we'll make that a permanent sound effect. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll just I'll just drop Pete's number at the end of the episode, and you can yeah. all call him and leave him voicemails. Go ahead. Text me what you think. Yeah. Um, but uh, where were we? Yeah, I, I think like as we're kind of getting led in here. Are you guys out of the machines yet? I, I think like. Um, I'm I'm coming out of mine, I think. I think that's like, okay, we're in. It's safe. Like, all right. I think that like whatever, uh, whatever OPSEC sort of front I felt like I needed to put up for a second. I'm going to let that go. And like, we're good. We're in. Like, we're going to talk now. And like, it'd be weird for me to sit in the fucking mech the whole time. Like, who do I think I am? <laughs> Arms crossed. Carter's walking around like a cartoon cowboy and kind of like tipping in a cowboy hat he's not wearing, trying to like be cool with the <laughs> looking like a dumbass. Yeah, there's definitely, there's not a choice either here, I would say. Like, I think, you know, if, if you guys don't get out even quickly enough, I think like probably Strand, you know, when you have arrived at this kind of like stopping point where you walk the rest of the way, like would say or intimate like, all of you are coming. You know, there's no no one gets to hang out in their giant uh, war machine nearby our encampment while we do, you know, while this <laughs> yeah. happens, right? Um, I think as we're like on the way in, you know, Rhodes like kind of turn to Carter and Des be like, listen, only thing I can tell you with dealing with the Drovers is just try and be as respectful as you can to their customs. Very ritualistic based, no lying, no like Carter, I'm looking at you, no, no tricky stuff. Okay. They're, I think, a little suspicious. We got this far. You know, I'm going to try, they'll try to let me lead on this, but be honest, be yourselves because they'll see it if you're hiding something. For the record, I don't do, I don't do tricky stuff. I do cool stuff. No cool <laughs> No tricky, no cool. Uh, I love that your your go to is is Carta and not the professional thief. Also, that's at least mind his own business. I'm not, not, not so worried. Yeah, I think uh, you know uh, Cygnus Strand leads you into this camp, and I think you know uh, as you arrive at this kind of uh, like this nearby spot uh, and like make the walk there. I think these other bikes that were hovering off in the distance, these have like come in close as well, right? And we see we've got like four or five other riders on these dust cutters who are all kind of like, you know, I think in very similar, this kind of like riding garb, right? You know, I mentioned like heavy gloves and boots, uh, you know, ponchos and masks. And I think everyone's got like, you know, we talked about this a little bit, like, you know, mask decoration and variation being kind of like, kind of like a demarcation of like an individual, you know, like, like an individual's way of kind of expressing themselves or like a, kind of like important to these folks how many people are here so i think as we walk closer to the camp right and we see these tents and we see like the you know you know we see few more people who are not dressed to like kind of like in the in this riding gear right we see folks who are like in regular clothes right i think like a lot of still a lot of like yeah like ponchos and i think like like loose fitting uh like robes and cloaks and things like stuff to like good for the desert cold but also good for the desert heat and a wider variety you know i imagine it's all like 
slightly younger fit people who are riding these bikes. We kind of see that there are like older folks and younger folks too amongst this this larger gathering of the caravan. I would guess that the caravan is like, I was kind of thinking like a hundred-ish, a hundred something people all together, right? Like not just like, this is not like, you know, like 12 drovers, right? This is like a caravan and like a big herd of triops. Like the triops themselves, I think are kind of like a little further off from the main part of the camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like huddled in around the, the rocks and all that. Yeah, so I think, but yeah, I think, I think like probably about like a hundred drovers all together here. And yeah, so I think, uh, you know, Cygnus eventually brings you into the camp. And absolutely, right, you're like getting eyes from like a ton of people as you walk through. Like this is not a, a normal occurrence. And I think you're kind of brought into the, the center of the camp where I imagine there is kind of like a, a larger kind of circular tent set up, kind of like a meeting house. And you are brought into this meeting house. Strand leaves you in there for a moment, like tells you, you know, you stay here. And I think, you know, there's another beat here, a moment where like, you know, you can see the shape of two drovers who are standing outside the kind of the entrance to this tent. Uh, I think the tent itself probably has like, there's been like furniture set up in here. There are like tables at the back, I think with like, uh, yeah, more of these like paper maps spread out. Also, I think like, you know, I don't think of the drovers as like a, technophobic people i think there are also lots of like little machines and things in here and i think there are seats and cushions like places for you to make yourselves comfortable this is like a a space that could probably hold definitely not everyone that's in this camp but like you know a larger assembly of like people for a discussion probably like you could fit like 30 people in here Um, so you're like a little kind of like in this kind of space that's usually meant for a larger gathering I think there's like, yeah, a beat here where the three of you are alone. Uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to say or do before like uh, Strand returns. Yeah, I think like Rhodes like still has Strand's knife in his hand. I think he's probably just like, you know, kind of tossing it, catching it. And it looks at Carter and like points. He's like, see, paper maps. I told you, it's legit. Yeah. You said there were, there used to be more than this. How many more? This looks like a, a lot of people to move through the desert. And they do this up not being, I mean, I just don't know how they do it. Under the Concordat's nose? I mean, they're hidden, you know, more back in the day. I don't know. Different. Certainly. This is a different thing. When I was young, the drovers were more independent, I guess, less fearful, less skeptical. It was a prouder creed, venerated even. Taking cues from you, cowboy. I think at that moment, the the like entrance to the tent darkens again. And I think we get like a, a three figures who, who come back into this tent. I think we have Strand again. Uh, and then I think uh, Strand is like flanked by by two others who are who are approaching with him. Uh, I think there is a woman who is wearing Strand, like I said, has been riding this wearing this like kind of like riding gear, like this poncho. I think she is wearing kind of like these like hooded robes. Um, and I think she's like actually like I think the robes that she's wearing are like really adorned with like, you know, this kind of like fine, uh, like patchwork quilting, right? I think it is like, uh, there's like a lot of like patchwork stuff here, but I think also it is almost like scaled at, at places with this like uh, triops shell. Um, and I think she's a human woman. She is not a Lictorian. And she uh, has, I think like a, you know, like I said, I, don't th- I think they're not like a technophobic people. I think she has like a like prosthetic eye, this kind of like machinery piece that is like taking up a large portion of her face. And I think this might be the first time we've like seen this on screen, but I think that like the, the metal that this thing is made of uh, has kind of like a iridescent quality to it. That is not not dissimilar to the the same kind of 
quality of the, the triops shell. I think you see this prosthetic eye looks like it is made or at least partially like kind of made with orichalcum, this like kind of uh, a miracle metal that conducts the fundament, this this thing that the, the Commonwealth has been destroying the, this planet for, right? Like it's also the thing that like uh, her her prosthetic eye is made out of. So I think she's on one side of Strand uh, and then on the other side of him, uh, I think it's this like kind of like looming figure, large looming like humanoid uh, figure. This person is a, a synthetic, a, a robot uh, in the same way that uh, Rhodes is, right? It's like big, you know, I think he is wearing uh, almost uh, something closer to armor, right? Like I think like he's got like kind of like uh, like plated sleeves like, going down his arms and uh, his face is, I'm imagining kind of like a, I'm trying to think what the right shape is here, like a hedron maybe or like a... Uh, <laughs> Like kind of like a like this kind of like just like polygonal thing. Yeah, this black kind of like a polygon. It's like this matte black like kind of polygon. It's you know kind of carbon fiber esque diamond shaped head. And as I think you know as, as he comes in and like looks at you, he doesn't have like a face in the way that we would think of one. But the shape on it, like the shape of his head changes. It like spikes briefly, almost like a you know, like ferrofluids, like these like kind of like mm. liquid magnetic metals, right? Oh yeah. Uh, like that's like the register of like emotion right across his his face is like oh. spiking of the ferrofluid and then it settles back into this kind of like polyhedron. That's cool. Strand, we thank you for your hospitality and for meeting us here. I'm called Rhodes. This is Des, Chiropteran, and Carta. Lactorian as yourself. Uh, right. Carta's not Carta's a person, right? You're human. Yeah. Oh, I thought Carta was Lactorian. Okay, sorry, no. cut that. Cut that. <laughs> and this is Carta. A human. boy. <laughs> <laughs> a regular human boy. I think this is finally probably made a point finally like in the tent here. I think Strand kind of like reaches up and takes off this like face mask that he's been wearing. It's like respirator, a uh, rebreather. I think like the first thing that strikes you is that he's like pretty young looking, right? Like maybe like a little bit older than Carta's age, but like not that much older than Carta actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Rhodes probably like glance at uh, Cygnus's dagger, and it's a, a lot of knots for a young man. It's been a trying time for the drovers. A lot of challenges to overcome. I agree. The basin's changed, and changing again. And I think before things like continue on, right, I think like Strand would introduce, you know... Actually, I don't think Strand would introduce himself any, again here. I think what actually would happen is that the... I think that the woman beside him, I imagine she has like a kind of like earthenware jug of some kind... Uh, and I think there's probably like a sharing of water here, right? Like you, you talk about ceremony. I think before this can like start in earnest, right? There is a passing of like, you know, triops shell bowls, like shallow bowls and like a, a pouring of water from the spring that is kept here. This is like a, not an important thing. I do think that the drovers have like aqueducts that they maintain that like feed these oh, cool. springs. Um, I got like in a deep wormhole reading about like, uh, like canots and like, oh yeah, yeah, but, yeah, Kanots, this, yeah. Like, to these kind of like really interesting like irrigation like uh, these ancient aqueducts uh, that like conduct water across like like all kinds of like different like desert areas and so yeah I imagine right, that there is like a yeah like a a sharing of water and I think that this uh, this woman would would be the one who would introduce herself and I think reintroduce Strand um, and I think she introduces herself as she is pouring these water like the, the water into these bowls this is a uh, sojourn Vale she is the keeper. And I think you know, I think she she pours water out for for Strand, and it's you know Cygnus Strand who is the driver, and this is Chiton Paul who is the the quartermaster, and these are like the triad of of this caravan. 
And I don't know if this is how things happened in like road, the caravan that Rhodes used to go with. Maybe this is like a different thing for him, or maybe this is something he's familiar with. But I think that these three are like the kind of like triumvirate of elected leaders of this caravan, right? Hmm. Uh, and each of them is kind of like, you know, there's like a purpose here, right? Uh, and I think, you, you know, uh, this woman, uh, Sojourn Vale, is like the kind of the spiritual leader of this troop. Uh, and in the same way that like uh, Cygnus Strand is the is the driver, is the one in charge of like the route of the journey. Uh, and we see this other uh, Chitin is the is the one who keeps the supplies. And I think also just kind of like an assumptive like I imagine this guy Chitin has like a huge like a kind of like pistol or something on his belt, right? Like something that is like oh, it, it's definitely like a big revolver with like the abalone you know pommel, right? Uh, and I think, you know, he is the quartermaster, but I think that also implies some kind of, like, security function as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like he is the, a guard of this thing. And it's, like, only until, like, you know, the water has been poured and everyone has kind of, like, shared water and, uh, and like, sat down. Um, it's just probably not a fire if we're inside, right? But there's probably some kind of, like, uh, something, you know, kind of that you sit around in the center, some kind of die or, like, a, like apparatus that is, like, a focal point for conversation, um, and I think when, once that has like been passed through, I think Cygnus kind of speaks up again. Uh, and he looks at the three and a view and he says, you know, this is not the usual kind of interruption that we've had our nights out here near the Cosmio Ridge. You said, well, why don't we start over? Why don't you tell us what exactly do you come to visit the Drovers for? What, what do you want from us? Why would you come creeping into our camp at night? We meant no offense. We came as friends. You hold my dagger as I hold yours. I think Rhodes puts real clearly, but you're correct. We are here for a purpose. And I think um, pulls out like his own transponder, little like radio receiver. Um, I imagine it's like kind of like the size of like a, one of those old like razor phones. Like it's real small, you know, I think like clicks it on and like, you know, the, the tinny voice of that concordat like transmission kind of starts droning out, you know, the, the same kind of like sermon we've been hearing. And I think he like throws it you know, tosses it down onto this dais um, in front of us as we're speaking. And come unto ye, the light be bright. I'm sorry, I'm just doing a little... Uh, no, great. Yeah. Great. <laughs> you can layer in whatever. And I think Rhodes kind of lets it play for a second and says, the sound you're hearing now is the sound of a sickness spreading across the basin, fast expanding. The Concordat won't be satisfied with Ferenc Bluff, and they won't be satisfied with Passerine Station, and they're not going to stop at the basin either. They won't stop until they've consumed this planet and turned it inside out, stripped it of its mystery and laid bare its wealth. Uh, we're here to at least stem the infection, slow the tide. And I think we may have a mutual interest. I can't imagine you're content to live like this, hiding among rocks and crags. I was a drover once, if you can believe it. I know you've seen the dagger. I was a soldier once before then. And what are you now? A friend, I hope. An ally, maybe. And I think uh, maybe this is like Vale, or uh, Sojourn Vale, who speaks next. You know, I think she says, um, the Drovers are not a mercenary company to be recruited by one army or another on this planet. We serve a higher purpose. If you're here to try and convince us to join the ring, we've heard the argument before. I wouldn't waste your water on that. Uh, We too serve a higher purpose. A free ember. A place where... Drovers, free men alike, are able to choose their own path, just as you have. Although, 
I must say, things have changed since I was a drover. Once, this was a proud culture. It pains me a bit to see it as it is today. And this is pretty impressive, I'll admit. Over 100 here? Pretty sizable population, but how many of you are like yourself, Cygnus? Holding on to something as tightly as you can. Be ashamed to let it slip away. We need a favor. Okay. Yeah, as I say, I think you're right. It's like I think maybe this is like uh, the the quartermaster here is like you know yeah yeah we're a hundred strong you know half our number are, are are the elderly are children we are not soldiers what would you ask of us? We need a distraction, a grand distraction. Um, I, you know, I think all of their eyes shoot to you, Des. Right, like Rose has really been leading this conversation. Uh, you know, and I think uh, Cygnus you know, like looks at you and uh, to what end? We need a, a, a grand distraction, more grand than the than the preacher at his sermon. We seek to topple them off their mount, for one. Know that we'll do this with or without your help for you, for your benefit. The ring and the drovers, we have the same interest. Ecology is one of the tenets of our creed. That's fun. That's an interesting... I, I guess I, I, there's a question for you. Is, is Des... Is Des playing a part here, or is this like a thing Des believes? We haven't really talked about Des's re- like re- relationship to the ring that I, much. No, he's like he's kind of playing a part right now for sure. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. I'm just, like he's, he's being a little, vibing. he's vibing, he's just vibing yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, I've picked up enough of this. This, uh, I, I don't really know how he feels about it. Um, yeah, yeah. Probably not super serious about it, but like you know, whatever. He's, yeah. <laughs> We know you have your own interests and goals, and I'm just curious. Yeah, you know, as we and that's num that's number one. That's numero uno, baby. Yeah, you know, maybe this is like a is this time for the role, right? Is this is that where we're at? You think or I, I mean, think maybe a role here, I think right? I would add like one more thing. Yeah, yeah, right? go for it. Yeah, yeah, like, if you do. We need a favor, but I think the real question is like, what can we do for you? Because I know that Farron's Bluff used to be a way station, a drover town. I and I guess would turn to Cygnus again, like, and you driver, are you content to go where you're permitted to drive your herds where they're allowed to pass? Or would you restore these great beasts to their once ancestral routes as they are owed? I, I know what this is, right? I think, um, I think uh, Cygnus would put pushes aside the, the transponder that's on this kind of table in the center, right? This like stone die that is there. And I think, Reaches under his poncho, pulls out a paper map, baby, and <laughs> rolls it out across the table. Um, and then I think, you know, with um, with Rhodes's knife, points to Farron's bluff, and then points into like the 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 foothills, be up to the north beyond it, like right at the, the kind of the base of the the Cosmia Ridge, the mountain range that runs to the north. Yeah, Strand says, "There's a passage in the mountains north of Farron's bluff." You're right. Farron's Bluff used to be a way station. We would stop here before continuing up into the mountains, into the caves there. Knife points yet to, uh, into the foothills. And I think you know, there's, like a, there's, already a, there's a marking already on this map of like this, this cave entrance that he's talking about. In the systems there, there's a, a spawning pool, a place where the hatchlings stay until they're ready to come out. We've been trying to make our way north up into the mountains past Farron's Bluff for... Yeah, maybe it's been like over a week, right? Like maybe like two weeks, you know, for a time. But the Concordat, their new regulation, their new ordinances, they've stopped us at every turn from traveling further north into the mountains. The time for spawning is soon. If we're not there, there will be no one to greet these new triops into the world. 
I don't know what you what research you've done, what you know. There's a machine they fly over the area here. Anytime we've tried to sneak in, dead of night, middle of day, they've caught us. They've seen us. They've sent us back. Carter speaks that. All right, I, I might not know what, a lot about triops. But I can tell you, if there's something that's up there keeping an eye on you, you, you know, leans on his gun, you know, I can take it out. It's, it's going to be clay pigeons. And if that's what's stopping you, it won't be for long. I think Strand says, you know, if you need a, distra- if you need a distraction, then we need a distraction as well. Whatever you do needs to, to make enough noise to let us move our caravan past Farron's Bluff to get into the hills, into our caves. Once we're past that, hiding from the Concordat, like we know the mountains, we'll be able to stay away from them. It's this, this kind of run across the empty landscape up to the foothills that has prevented us from doing so. What's your, what's your plan, right? What's the, what's the yeah. pitch, right? Um, yeah. So I think like Rhodes would step up to the map here and kind of like spell out some of this, right? Yeah. That, um, well, I think this could also, this might be time for the roll, I think, is like sure. uh, right pitching the ambush, or not the ambush, rather, the stampede and the kind of like the subsequent action. I feel like this to me feels like the roll. Yeah. I think the role here is also... This is like a setup action? I think it's like a setup action for whatever you... Whatever your your next move is, right? Um, Whether that's, you know... uh, Because we've talked about... We can talk about this plan a little bit, right? But I think one of the big parts of this plan that we talked about last time, I think that's still the same here, is right, is that, like, this is a distract... The stampede is a distraction so that Dez and Carta, or some combination thereof can actually get into the facility and do the job, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is maybe a setup action or like, yeah, like a setup for whatever the first role one of them makes towards accomplishing that goal. Yeah. I think the the like thing I would put to this triumvirate here, right, is um, we'll do one better than like obscuring your drive around Ferenc Bluff and we'll cut straight through, right? That um, the Concordat is not expecting anything. They'll be drunk on their own zealotry. You know, they're, they're going to be busy drinking deep from their own well. Uh, we have an opportunity to drive straight through town, remind them in the only language they speak, right, the language of control, that uh, there are other forces here on the bluff that have been here for longer. Uh, and I will draw out any, you know, attack like enough time to get them through and up to the mountains. We'll defend them while Des and Carta accomplish our own mission, and we'll be on our way. The drone will be better for it. You want a noise? I got something that rings a lot louder than church bells. It's going to be ringing in those ears for a long time. A long time in a way that people don't forget. Hell yeah. So let's talk about what this role is, right? This is, I think, like I said, like a setup action which is a, a kind of action I don't think we've done yet, but basically it, you know, it's still going to be a role. It is going to have like position and effect, but if you succeed in this role, what you'll be doing is you'll be giving an improved position or an improved effect to the next kind of big role that happens. I think like I said, we, we're kind of setting up one of the other guys, you know, the distraction that you're going to make with this will be the thing that kind of gives them a better position or effect to make their move uh, on Passerine station and on Farron's bluff. So let's look, look, let's talk, let's talk sheets. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about roles. Let's talk about who's, you know, let's, 
who's rolling what here? Let's talk some shit. Yeah, talk some shit. Talking shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely, it does feel to me like this is probably Rhodes leading with someone assisting, maybe? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Carta gave pretty good, like, uh, add on there. I mean, I, let me, I'm just pulling up the I setup. Think, uh, you know, Carta and Dez, I think, both gave good, you know, kind of pitches here. If you, yeah, I think we covered both ends of their concerns. You know, yeah, I think if you both wanted to assist, I believe that is possible. Uh, let me look at the rules real quick. I, I think the two people can assist if it makes sense. Uh, this could also be a group action if we wanted it to be to play it that way. What fits? I think I think either of those I would would make. Sense. I mean, it does feel like maybe. Well, first let's talk about what are you, what do we think this role is. So I'll tell you what it feels like to me, but it might not be sure. the thing that you want it to be. It does feel to me like a consort role, kind of. Yeah, I just don't have any fucking pips in consort. All right, yeah, that, and that's brutal. Hey, but you. what a spirited pitch that was for having no skill in that. I know. Um, yeah, consort? Ugh, I got one. You had zero. Okay, so maybe a group action is not a great idea. So maybe this makes sense. Uh, for you to lead roads and if folks want to assist you. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel like either way you are the, obviously kind of the, 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 the onus falls on your shoulders to make yeah. this one. Yeah, I agree. It does sound like consort, maybe sway, neither of, it doesn't really matter. I have n- no points in either one. I only, I have one pip in command, but it doesn't really feel like command, unfortunately. Yeah, when you command, you force immediate obedience. And I feel like the approach that we took was, Consort is when you mingle with allies and acquaintances, you may might gain access to resources, information, people, or places, which is, to me, it feels like what this is. Yep, I think you're right. So starting out, I think this is risky, standard, consort for consort. <laughs> you have zero dice. So starting out, before we include pushing, before we include uh, any kind of collateral die or any kind of assists, it is risky standard, roll two dice and take the lowest result. With all that said, we can kind of go down the line. Does anyone want to assist? Let's, let's handle that first. Yeah, I can assist. Um, so that would be uh, Cardus. You'd spend one stress to assist. Yeah, ooh, right. I'm forgetting. I'm already at three stress, too. I'm at four stress. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, Cardus. It's two. Uh, did you... No, 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 it would just be one stress for you. You only have one connection with Rhodes, yeah. So it would be one stress for you, Carta, to assist Rhodes. Okay. Do you want to assist? Sure. Why not? All right, so that would bump it up to one dice. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to push. You're going to push? Yeah. Um, So that is two, if you spend two stress, that'll give you two dice right there. And I will say this, too, before we spend any more stress. I don't think that the consequence of failure on this roll is that the drovers don't help you. Because it feels like, just fictionally, to me, it makes sense that they would... Yeah, I think you've done the work to make this happen. Mm-hmm. I think that the consequences of like failures or mixed successes uh, are related to outside factors or like the level of maybe support that they're able yeah. to provide. But it's not yeah. about whether or not they will do it. Right. It's whether or not you know something else happens as a consequence. Yeah. Just just to be clear, I just so you know like. That's smart. Yeah. I like I like this idea so much. Like the stampede is such a fun thing, and I think you've like made the case for it. I think the situation makes sense. I want it to happen, so I just wanted to lay out like what what the failure is here is going to be is outside of this tent in some way probably. Uh, so it's at two two dice right now with your push and with card as assist. I could offer you a collateral die here. 
For an additional, that would take us up to 3d6? That would take you up to 3. Um, or also, Des could assist you as well. I would allow that. But it would cost Desmond 2 stress to assist you. Uh, because you raise your connection clocks with each other on your downtime when you uh, cut loose together. So, uh, collateral die is out there. I can make that pitch if you want to hear it. Yeah, I'd hear it. Just to save us some stress. Uh, just to be straightforward, uh, I'll, you know, I'm not going to get fancy with this one. I will create a clock that is the the like uh, town alert clock, uh, and it basically will represent like the the military forces of the Concordat uh, in Farron's Bluff, kind of being on full alert and like kind of you know sending out you know whatever whatever they've got kind of held back or whatever you know sort of reserves they have or like um, backup. You know, that will all activate and it will become a more tense situation. Uh, so if you want that die, I will create that clock and add one segment to it. Good chance that clock's going to go off at some point anyways. It just means yeah. it'll come off a little sooner. You know what I mean? Um. Yeah, I'll t- let's take it. What do you guys think? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Cool. Uh, so that is the town alert clock at one now. Bring us up to 3d6 on this. Um. That's, I think, as good as we're going to get. So I'm going to roll... All right, uh, it's rolling 3d6. This is a risky standard. Oh, fuck me. That is... Mm. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh. Ooh, rough. Oh. Uh, so as you might, listener, might guess from the way we've reacted, Peter has rolled a 2, a 3, and a 1. Uh, and all three of those fall under the category of a failure here. Yep. And so... Pretty sure this was a six the first time we recorded it. <laughs> I believe it was. So, okay. Uh, on a failure on this roll, I'm not going to make it so that this doesn't happen, right? That's that's not on the table. Instead, I'm going to give you two uh, controlled consequences instead of one risky consequence. And that is that I'm going to tick a clock here. And the first clock that I'm going to tick is that I'm going to Tick one more segment on the town alert. And the, the second thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to create uh, another clock here. And this is not the town alert. This is the, this is a four segment clock. And this one is called the passerine station alarm. And I'm going to increase that by one segment as well. So it is now at one of four. And when that clock is filled, the alert at the actual station has gone off. And there's it's clear that like something is happening at the station and that there needs to be a defense set there. Um, and so the way this plays out, right, I think is that the, the, the three, the triad of the dust cutters kind of, you know, they look at each other and, you know, I don't I don't think that there's like a discussion so much as there is that's kind of like exchange of, you know, knowing glances. Uh, and then each one of them. Um, puts their hand in on this 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 round table in the center. Uh, and I think the expectation is that you three will do the same. Um, and I think Cygnus Strand says, you're right. We can't just sit here hiding from the Concordat. And we can't just hope that this place, that, that Ember will get better around us without doing anything about it. When the time comes, we'll lend you our aid. We'll help you with your distraction. So long as you help us make our way into the foothills. Do you all agree to that? Is this like hands in? Yeah. There's a beat here, right? They're waiting for a response. Yeah. yeah. So it's, all, you know, it's hands in. And then you hear a shouting from outside the tent. And uh, I think, you know, as you like kind of, I think Cygnus and the others make their way to the outside of the tent. And, you know, as you follow, you can see that the 
the campfires are being doused. And I imagine that like, you know, like almost from nowhere, these like bigger tarps are being pulled up over some of these tents that like have the texture and look of like, like sand and stone or boulders, right? There's like these kind of like camouflage, you know, like netting coverings that go over some of these things. But they're basically, they're not breaking down camp, but they're suddenly hiding a lot of things all at once. And uh, almost like luminescent, glowing high in the sky, you know, for a moment, you almost think that there's the, that the one of the the fourth moon has sh- like peeked its head out, right? Uh, except that it's moving and it's so small. You realize it is it is this drone that they've been worried about, and I think the shape of it, right, uh, is it is like bone white. It has kind of like a cylindrical body, and then it has four kind of like engines or rotors that are coming out on either side. And this is a uh, in your research, maybe you would have encountered this kind of machine. This is a a Lepidoptera drone, right? Uh, So-called because it looks like a giant moth moving through the sky at night. And this is the the drone from Farron's Bluff that is like flying through the area, you know, like scanning and like, you know, on its normal patrol run. Uh, But the reason that these clocks have been ticked is that I think that, I don't think you've been clocked, they haven't clocked you, but like there's something unusual and they've clocked the unusual activity. The armors. Uh, exactly. The heat signature yeah, of the armors. Dez, Dez takes out a remote and uh, points it at um, the Mercuria, presses a button, and the optical camo turns on. Fire. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cardis has not got quick, the... Uh, the ghillie, right? Yeah. And so that's why you're not discovered, right? You're, this is the, your cover's not totally blown, but it's going to lead to an increase in, you know, kind of security and concern on the day of the event, right? Somewhere in like the, you know, someone's going to review the log later and be like, ah, you know, unusual heat signatures on the perimeter and X, Y, Z. And so because of that, because of this failure, yeah, you've, you're going into a slightly heightened situation. Yeah. I I like this image, right? Of like the, the camp kind of in panic uh, or like this like rapid action. I think as we like step out of the tent, right. Or uh, the, the six of us kind of like exit to watch this whole scene, you know, Rhodes standing next to Cygnus, I think like turns as all this is happening as we're, you know, Rhodes and, and I'm sorry, uh, Des and Carter, like quickly kind of like go deal with the machines turns to Cygnus. I think handing his dagger back to him and says, you have my word, safe passage to the Cosmio Ridge. And right. It's, it's the exchange of blades again. You know, the time for docility is over. Sun up is in two hours. We ride together. 